In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. This is the seventh Sunday of the Holy Resurrection, after which the Church celebrates the Holy 50 Days, uh, which ends today with the celebration of the Pentecost. During the course of the 50 days, we celebrate three of the seven major feasts. Um, first, we celebrate the resurrection. <clears throat> and then 40 days after that, we, we celebrate the ascension. And then 10 days after that, we celebrate the Pentecost, which is today. This is a, a really blessed period of time where we remember our Lord and what he completed for us for the salvation of the world. Um, he fulfilled what is called the divine economy. What uh, It's called the divine economy or what's... Uh, in simple terms, it's the plan of God for our salvation. That would he that he would be born in the flesh, and that in the flesh he would experience birth, death, resurrection, and ascension, and sitting at the right hand of his Father. After the cross, he resurrected from the dead, becoming what for us the first fruits of that resurrection. He ascended to heaven, and by ascending to heaven, he crossed that barrier that separated us from the Father and blazed the path for us to follow. It's complete. That story of salvation is complete and we are saved. But on Pentecost, we begin to enjoy for the first time the depth of the the fruits of this amazing and inspiring plan that God had to save us. That we should live with Him as children um, of God in the love of their Father. Uh, It's beautiful here in America that we oftentimes celebrate the Pentecost on Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, by the way, for everyone. Um, Because this is the aim of the Father, that we should live with Him. And by giving us His Holy Spirit, as a result of the work of Christ, we're able to live with the Father. Last Sunday we read what Christ told His disciples when He said, In that day you will ask Me in My name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father Himself loves you, because you have loved Me and have believed that I came from the Father. Christ is saying that the Father Himself loves you, and in that day... That day, of course, is Pentecost. That's the day where it's fulfilled, where the Holy Spirit is given to us, the spirit of fatherly love that he promised us. St. Paul explains this when when he says in Romans chapter 5, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. So in the celebration of Pentecost, our first impression, when you think about, okay, what kind of feeling should I have in Pentecost? Our first impression should be, as St. Matthew the Poor says in his book, Communion of Love, um, should be the affection of the Father towards us. That's what we should remember, because that's what he gave us. He gave us his Holy Spirit in the spirit of fatherly love so that we can have that fatherly relationship with him as his children. A feeling of fatherly and fiery love poured out on all humanity, following the Son's fulfillment, of course, of all the salvific things that he did. Um, this is our share. This is the great day that we celebrate today. This is what we receive. It's called a treasure of love, the treasure of goodness. This is the kind of treasure that doesn't run out like any other treasure of the world, like a bank account that runs out over time. But this kind of treasure never runs out. It's like that river of flowing water flowing from our hearts. Like uh, Christ says in chapter 7, He who believes in me in the scripture, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That living water is the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, and we'll come back and forth to this many times in this talk, uh, the Holy Spirit appeared as a flame of fire on top of the apostles. A flame of fire, a ton- as tongues of fire on the, on the top of each one of the apostles. Um, that is the great day that's predicted in the Old Testament. Um, 
when the, when Abraham, for example, obeyed God and was about to sacrifice his son Isaac, um, because he was willing to do so, God promised him many beautiful things. But on Pentecost, when um, Christ had fulfilled the plan of salvation and he ascended to heaven and appeared before his father sacrificed, um, then God the Father did more than just promise. He fulfilled that greatness. And that fulfillment comes when he pours out the Holy, his own Holy Spirit upon each one of the believers. His love overflowed on all mankind and he poured out on every believing person the Holy Spirit where God's grace, where God's affection, where God's goodness are treasured. And that's what we have inside of us. And this is what is prophesied in Joel chapter 2, the famous prophecy about the Pentecost. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your, your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Now we have the right to call God our Father. As St. Paul says in Romans, But you have received the spirit of sonship. This is the spirit we received. We have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit Himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. <clears throat> so the Holy Spirit inside of us calls out on our behalf, Abba, Father, and that's what gives us the right to become, to be called and to become children of God. This is why Pentecost is considered the birth of Christ. And uh, the birth of, uh, sorry, the birth of the church. This is the birth of the church. This is when the church started. So happy birthday, church. You don't look a day over uh, 1,988 years old, which is approximately how old you are, but you haven't aged a bit. Uh, we're grafted into the church at that moment, at the time when the Holy Spirit dwelt inside the believers. That marks the beginning of the church. So great was the joy of Christ. Great was the joy and uh, contentment of Christ when he sees that his offsprings, the church, was born and receives his Holy Spirit that is proceeding from the Father. He witnessed us becoming children of his Father with the sealing of that chrismation oil that we receive after baptism. That joy is there at every baptism. A new era of love would begin in the church after Pentecost. This era would begin and would never be taken away from, the, uh, from those who are baptized in Christ. That era of love, the era of love of the Father towards His children. God's desire and joy is shown in the prayer of Gethsemane. When He says in His prayer to the Father, that the love with which you loved me before the foundation of the world may be in them and I in them. This is what he, the Christ wanted, was to unite us again with his Father. We learn uh, from, this, the, from this model prayer that um, Christ truly did desire us for us to be reconciled with God the Father. And this is what is finally accomplished in Pentecost. Here Pentecost, this unity is accomplished with the pouring out of his Holy Spirit upon the church as tongues of fire that rested upon them. How did the apostles uh, function right before the Pentecost? They were meeting together in perfect love, perfect unity, and the Bible says with one accord. So the work of our Lord was not completed in the incarnation. It was not completed with all the miracles and teachings. The work of the Lord continued even after the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension. It was completed on the Pentecost. That's why the Pentecost is the last of the seven major feasts of our church. Right. The next one now uh, is, is, is kind of starts over in the revolution on the church calendar. 
the last of the seven feasts is the um, <clears throat> is the Pentecost. <clears throat> Christ was only content when we had fellowship, unity, and sonship with the Father. So here today and every day we gather in the church just like the apostles gathered together with one mind and with one accord in love and in unity uh, in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We gather for fellowship with each other and fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This, may, the, this of course was made possible by the work of our Lord Jesus Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit upon us. So the Holy Spirit appeared as mighty as a mighty wind that shook the, the doors at the Pentecost and as flames of fire. This was just a visible token. The apostles, of course, did not go around with a flame of fire on their heads the whole time, right? It was it appeared for a short, short period of time and then it, it, it went away. This was, of course, because nothing like this has ever happened before, and so they needed that visible token at the time. But that Holy Spirit, if it's likened to a fire, and it has many uh, symbols, right? The, the Holy Spirit has many symbols and has appeared in many forms, like the dove in the theophany or the baptism of Christ, the anointing oil, the wind, the cloud, the breath of life. It, it's symbolized by water. Here he comes as fire, and one sat upon each one of them. As St. John the Baptist foretold that, right? One, that Christ would come baptizing you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And the word sat upon the holy disciples, not just appeared, but sat on them, showed that prolonged presence, that presence of the Holy Spirit, that it was there, like it settled on the apostles, the continuance of the Holy Spirit dwelling on the apostles. That means the Holy Spirit is not just dwelling on top of us, but even inside of us, dwelling inside of us forever. The Spirit on occasion in the Old Testament did come on the prophets as well. The prophets had to deal with one nation. Um, the apostles, though, had to deal with the whole world. The prophets would receive it through the oil or the burning bush. The apostles through fire, which rested upon them. Moses was given a tongue to speak and wrestle with Pharaoh, while the apostles were giving various tongues to speak because they wrestled with Satan and, and the whole world. They spoke in tongues, the wonderful works of God, as it, as it says in the book of Acts, in 16 languages listed in there, including Greek, Latin, and of course Coptic as well. We're reminded that up to the Tower of Babel, as it notes in Genesis chapter 11, the whole earth had one language and one speech, but humanity began to trend towards opposing God. And until they decided to build something high to rise up against the knowledge of God, God saw that the, what they were doing was not good for them and he confounded and confused their language. God was not afraid of course of them to obtain knowledge but that that knowledge was harmful for them and so he dispersed their uh, understanding and confused their language. The descendants of Noah felt that they could reach the heights of heaven through their own intellect and their own righteousness or their own strength or their own pride but they forgot that they needed solely to rely on God so God confused their language. God in his mercy did that. But from this point um, to the Pentecost, God confused their language. But we remind ourselves that in Pentecost here, the apostles spoke in different languages. And they went to all the countries of the world at the time. And they preached the gospels in the languages uniting under one faith, the Christian faith. And we know in a short period of time, Christianity, of course, became the major religion of the time in that area. 
Um, so just as going away from God leads to confusion, coming back to him gives us understanding, gives us peace. On Pentecost, the, the apostles spoke with various languages and went to all the earth, but this time not to confuse, but to provide peace, understanding, and not to divide, but to unite everyone together. As it says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit again appeared as this flaming fire resting upon the apostles and the disciples. Um, the Holy Spirit is like a fire. It's symbolized like a fire because it's kindled. It's, it's brought up. How do we kindle a fire? We put little sticks, right? We, we put little uh, pieces of wood and then we blow on it until it's kindled into a big fire. Likewise, the Holy Spirit is always present in the church. It's kindled by us through prayer, by humility, by love and by unity with each other. And when we're united together in His name, that's how the Holy Spirit is kindled. Just as the apostles were praying together in one accord in the upper room, in love and unity. This fire is alive in the church and only needs to be kindled in each one of us. So though we may have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we need to rouse that Holy Spirit. We need to, through humility, through prayer, and through all the blessings that the church has given us, rouse up that Holy Spirit that we may see His works in our lives. The Holy Spirit is by nature meek and calm and loving and is kindled by those who are of the same mind and, and as also of the model of the apostles. To meet with each other in unity and love as we do in the church and await the promise of the Lord, those who open their hearts and lift up their eyes to where Christ sits, demanding the right of what children have, the, demanding the right to seek the face of their Father. To these, the Holy Spirit shows himself as a fire and fills the heart so that every mouth flows with the praise of God. So let us dwell together in this kind of unity and love and simplicity that the apostles have, and let us always reach out to God, and may the Holy Spirit be always active in our church and in our lives, converting us daily, to whom be glory forever. Amen.